This is an AMI podcast. Over 90% of the population has been infected with an epidemic of blindness. The white sickness is highly contagious. There are no visible signs of trauma or symptoms. There is no cure. My fellow citizens, due to the gravity of the situation, our main obstacle is containment. May God help us all. The only thing more terrifying than blindness is being the only one who can see. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joitha Gupta. Today we're talking about a play, Blindness, which has been controversial within the disability community, specifically the blindness community, uh, because of its depictions of blindness. Nevertheless, because of the unique production process involved with the play, it's been one of the first to be put on in the aftermath, dare I call it the aftermath of the pandemic. Perhaps it's premature, but I think a lot of us, myself included, are craving the theater experience. We've, uh, of course, all been at home a lot, and we've all missed being able to take in live performances and be in a theater. So the play Blindness is unique in that it really does afford some opportunities to go and take that in, and it will be playing in Toronto at the Princess of Wales Theatre starting August 4th, and it'll be running all the way through to August 29th. So if you live in or near Toronto and you wanted to go check out the play, you can always go and buy your tickets from Mervish.com. My guest today is Professor Hannah Thompson. Hannah is a professor of French and Critical Disability Studies at Royal Holloway University of London. She has written three books, and she was a consultant on the play Blindness, which we're talking about today. Hannah joins us from the UK. Hello and welcome to the program. So good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. This play, Blindness, is based on a book by the same name. Now, for those of us who have not read the book, can you give us a, a bit of a synopsis? What's the book all about? Okay, so it's set in an identified city. And uh, at the beginning of the book, one protagonist suddenly goes blind. Um, he completely loses his sight from one minute to the next. And this is the start of a pandemic. So very, very quickly, blindness spreads across the city and the city very quickly descends into chaos. Blind people are rounded up and kept together in an asylum and become very animalistic, savage, lose all their humanness, all their kind of um nobility and dignity and then we we kind of the the book plays out what happens next Mm -hmm. so in what way has this book been adapted into a play how does one represent the experience of a world in which most of the people are blind so the way the play works is it's actually more a sound installation than a play so it's most of it happens in complete darkness and we are reliant on our on what we can hear to understand the plot. So in other words, we're not gaining any information or not very much information through the sense of sight. We're completely reliant on our hearing. Um, mm. And I guess that is supposed to replicate something of what it might feel like to be to suddenly go blind. Um, I mean, it's obviously 
not um, it doesn't give you a sense of what it's like to be a blind person because blind people learn how to be blind and also everyone has a different kind of blindness a lot of people have different kinds of light perception or, or sight of various levels so it's important to bear in mind that the play's not a simulation of blindness and it's not claiming to be i see it more as a celebration of how you can get information without using your eyes so it kind of gives you a sense of what it something of the of how blind people relate to the world but not you know it's not saying this is what it feels like to be blind I was thinking about those dine in the dark restaurants that have become so popular. Mm. They've cropped up all over the place and they turn off all the lights and uh, you have a meal in, in darkness. And that's, again, a simulation of blindness. Do you think simulation or not, it might nevertheless offer insight for people who are sighted about a different way to approach things like theater? Or I'll even expand the conversation a bit further, film or cinema. Is it saying that we could do more with theater rather than just incorporate audio description as a way to try and make it accessible to a blind audience. Are there possibilities here? Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm excited about it and why I think it's a good thing, despite the fact it's quite controversial, because it shows sighted people that you can have an amazing, immersive theatre experience without really any um, input from your sense of sight. I mean, there are some lighting effects that I suppose are more striking if you can see them. Um, but the audio description track is available to everyone. You can, it, you're wearing a headset throughout um, and you either listen to the non-described or the described version you, you can choose, um, which I think is great because it, it, it makes, it means the audio description is available for everyone. It's not, you know, at every performance, um, mm -hmm. but it, but every sighted person I know who's been to see it or been to hear it um, has come out absolutely amazed and really kind of astounded by the power of something that doesn't really depend on your sense of sight. I read a review in the New York Times about the play Blindness when it was playing in New York. And the reviewer wrote, you know, I understand that the play is about the breakdown of social institutions. But what I really took away was how valuable my sight was. And, you know, I I read that and I'm I'm visually impaired myself. And I said, wait a minute, I, I, I think you might be missing the point here. Was the point of the of the play to try and make a case for why sight is valuable? Is that what people should be thinking about when they watch the play? I would argue no, but I think the problem is the play is obviously an adaptation of the novel. And the mm. novel, we could argue, does have that as a message because, you know, chaos happens when blindness happens. And then when uh, the characters become sighted again, uh, then, you know, happiness is restored. And the only sighted character is the most important, arguably. So... That's why blind people don't like the book very much. Mm. Um, so I think so the Donmar had a hard job because they had to adapt the novel 
Um, and, and that's one of the reasons they called me in. Um, I'm partially blind and I read the script um, and I kind of said, yeah, you can't, you can't have that bit. Can, can we, can we, you know, can we change that? Can we make that a bit less um, depressing or a bit less negative? So there's, there was a line where it said something like, um, you know, being blind is, is worse than being dead or something. And I just said, yeah, you're going to have to get rid of that because that's just not, that's just not true. And we don't want people thinking that. Um, I think the, the, the kind of, the, the power of the experience contradicts the message, if you like. So it undermines the message of the novel because the very fact you're sitting in the dark and getting this experience um, shows you that you don't need sight, paradoxically. And yet for people who don't think quite so deeply, if they're just going in and watching a play where everybody goes blind because of a virus or a pandemic and suddenly law and order breaks down and there's a complete pandemonium and anarchy isn't it essentially sending out a very overt and negative message about blindness the fact that you know if you're blind that means you're lawless yeah i mean there are, there's a kind of million negative stereotypes of blindness embedded in the novel which then you know find their way into the play. That's why I think they've made an effort to give a lot of contextual information alongside the, the play. So there's program notes and podcasts and things so that, you know, they did think very deeply about the, the problem of putting this on stage and kind of perpetuating the negative messages, but then the power of the art. I mean, it's really... When it starts, it's, it feels like an audio book, um, mm. but then that's the, the, the first section, if you like. Um, but then in the second section, it, it turns into a kind of immersive experience, which works because you're sitting in the dark. So in a way, it's, it's simulated blindness, which gives you the, the, the brilliance of the play or the brilliance of the experience. But yeah, I completely understand that if you don't know any blind people or you, you've never thought about blindness and you're sighted and you go to that play, it's very easy just to think, okay, if people go blind, suddenly chaos will ensue. Um, I mean, I suppose the way I get around that thinking is if I think of it kind of as a metaphor for the pandemic, I suppose. And that's the other thing about it is that it is about a contagious illness which changes society. So it feels really relevant. Is that what audiences are taking away from this as well? That it is uh, it is essentially very relevant right now because of the pandemic or do you think it's a bit of a turnoff for people? It really depends on how you feel about being in an enclosed space with strangers, I think. Um, I mean, in a way, it's very, it's a very isolating experience because you're you're in a you're in a room, but you can't see anyone. You're wearing he a headset, so you're completely in your little world. You're, you're not really aware of what's happening around you. And in fact, the only people you are aware of are fictional characters who are. You're hearing, but because of the way the sound is working, you, 
you really feel strongly that they're there with you and they're walking around you. It's it's quite incredible that the way they use um, immersive um, surround sound to to uh, replicate kind of movement. So a lot of people thought, you know, it's a really nice way to get back into theatre because it's very socially distanced. You know, the seating's all very spread out. They're they're super careful. I mean, I've I've been twice, once in August um, last year when it was in London. And then again, this June, when it was within the UK, um, and both times, you know, it, it just felt like I was there on my own in a way. But if people have kind of struggled with the pandemic, you know, it, I can see how it might bring back some of those feelings. But there is, without spoiling it, there's quite a spectacular thing that happens at the end, which, you know, brings back quite a lot of hope. I'm Joita Gupta. My guest today is Professor Hannah Thompson, who is a professor of French and Critical Disability Studies at the Royal Holloway University in London. She joins us today from the UK. She's also a consultant on the play Blindness, which we're discussing today. You're also a scholar, and I know that as a producer for this program, I felt very conflicted talking about blindness on the show for the reasons that you've outlined, that the art sort of stands up for itself and makes this really powerful argument in favor of inclusion and universal design, but that the message leaves quite a lot to be desired. But as a scholar, how do you interpret the novel and how do you interpret the play? What does it actually do for us uh, in terms of thinking through disability in a critical way? For me, both the novel and the play reveal that most people's impressions or understandings of blindness are cultural constructs. So they are created by the way that people are exposed to representations of blindness in fiction, in film, uh, in the media. Most, the vast majority of non-blind people have never had a conversation with a blind person, have never met one, don't have one in their family. All they know about blindness comes from mostly negative, stereotypical portrayals. You know, there's a whole kind of set of associations. Um, blindness equals uh, lack of knowledge, uh, chaos, confusion, uh, lack of humanity, lack of dignity, over, overly sexualization you know there's a whole kind of raft of uh, myths of blindness and I think if you can read them kind of between the lines the, the novel and the play kind of say look this is this is the heritage of of all this representation of blindness but actually the reality is something else. In our conversation earlier you referred to yourself as partially blind uh, what did you mean by that? So my whole life I've been, or my, my sight has been defined kind of by lack. So in the UK, we, we talk about being visually impaired or partially sighted or low vision. And those three terms are very negative. They position blindness or sight loss as something negative, something undesirable. And they kind of suggest that sightedness is, the, is what people should be aiming for. Um, so I kind of decided to flip that by calling myself partially blind. I'm registered blind, legally blind, 
and I have some sight. So I'm kind of on the way to blindness rather than on the way to sight. So I'm not lacking sight. I've gained blindness. It's just a, it's a kind of a language thing. It just makes people stop and think that actually blindness, it's true, it's um, time consuming and tiring and expensive and, you know, frustrating to, to, have, to, to have to do things in a sighted world where you don't use sight, if you like. But it's not wholly negative or tragic condition. Is that what you were trying to communicate uh, when you did some of your research around blindness gain, this idea that it's, uh, it's not all bad, there are some opportunities there as well? Exactly. So let's think about something like the audiobook. Okay, so um, audiobooks are hugely popular mainstream kinds of entertainment now. They were invented by blind people back in the early 20th century. And it's only really in the last 10, 15 years that they've become mainstream. You know, when I was a kid, I had two, two audiobooks that I, I would listen to on repeat. So that's an example of something which was developed by and for blind people and which has had a benefit on lots of other people. So blindness, in other words, can be inventive, creative, it can find solutions, it can encourage different ways of doing things. And the problem is really that we live in a sight-obsessed society, mm-hmm. which will always prioritise sight, because people have this idea that it's the best way of getting and giving knowledge. But as the play suggests, actually, you can have an amazing theatrical experience without sight. How do you address the fear, the terror that people feel when it comes to losing their vision? Um, You know, especially in the play, there are some clips in the trailer, for example, where everyone is in a complete panic because they're going blind. And as you know, things break down from there. How do we make this idea about blindness gain? How do we manage to get this idea to gain currency in popular imagination? Because it's all well and good for you and I to talk about it here, but how do we get people to stop worrying when they get that diagnosis of, you know, age-related macular degeneration, or they get like a diagnosis and they think that we're about to lose our vision and life as we knew it is going to come to an end? I mean, sudden sight loss or blindness gain is terrifying um, because people are extremely reliant on their sense of sight. But as we know, uh, we have other senses, which pretty much can do everything we need them to do. Um, and actually, probably today is the best time to go blind in the last 2000 years, because the tech is incredible. You know, computer-based tech is extraordinary. And I think I think what, what we probably need is more depictions, positive depictions of blindness in the media. So we need stories which have blind heroines or heroes, but which aren't about blindness. They're just, you know, incidentally, people happen to be blind in and, and do other things. So that it's not rare to have a representation of a blind person and, and, and so that it all becomes focused on them, you know. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the 2018 film Bird Box. I don't know if you saw it on Netflix and everyone was in blindfolds. Again, another dystopian novel and everyone was, you know, um, 
it was blindfolded to try and avoid an infection. And a lot of people in the blind community were a bit upset about that as well, saying that it was almost making a, a mockery of blindness. It seems like whatever we do, there seem to be misstep after misstep after misstep. How do we actually create those positive characters, those heroes and heroines? It's Again, it's, it's good to talk about in theory, but it almost seems like our efforts fall short when we try to implement them. I guess get blind people involved in actually making the films. Um, have mm. blind actors and actresses in mainstream cinema, don't have sighted people playing blind parts, you know, take this huge group of people seriously as um, creators and artists. And I think, I mean, I do think things are changing, getting mm. less negative. So for example, if you make audio description more widespread and more visible so that sighted people know it's happening and know how to access it. You know, if theatres kind of announce it or if cinemas kind of credit it um, on, or say, let's say, for example, you couldn't be nominated for an Oscar unless your film was audio described or something, you know, um, mm-hmm. then people are going to start, or you had audio description as a category at the Oscars. Then Ooh, people are going like to start it. thinking, oh, okay. There are these things that, that are out there that I've never, I don't know about, but that's actually quite interesting. But it's also about keeping an open mind. I mean, so many sighted people complain about audio descriptions. They say it quote unquote gets in the way, but really it's about also recognizing that audio description might be a way to enhance the viewing experience mm-hmm. for a lot of sighted people. You actually get more out of it. I've having talked to my husband who's fully sighted and he would keep the audio description on. And he says, you know, I often, I get a lot more information that I just had no idea about how the description yeah. up in there. Uh, you know, we've just got about a minute left and I know you write a blog and you, you're quite frequent with it. Unfortunately, we didn't have too much of a chance to chat about it. In a nutshell, tell us about your blog and where we can read some of your work. So my blog's called Blind Spot. Um, and it's, my experiences as a partially blind person in a sighted world. So I tend to talk about, you know, just quite everyday things that that happen. There's quite a big focus on culture, literature, representation of blindness. Um, I'm sure in a few weeks there'll be some posts on the Paralympics, for example. Um, just kind of, you know, what's going on and and what kind of culture I've been accessing and how I've been doing quite a lot of work on audio description for example so I've been talking about that well it all sounds very interesting thank you so much for speaking to us today it was a pleasure my pleasure thank you for inviting me Hannah Thompson is a professor of French and critical disability studies at the Royal Holloway University in London. She joined us from the UK. If you missed any of our conversation, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. If you live near or in Toronto, you can also get tickets to blindness by visiting Mervish Productions on their website to book your tickets. It runs from August 4th to the 29th. If you'd like to go check out the play, I'd like to thank Hannah Thompson for being my guest on the program. Our technical producer is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe and have a wonderful rest of your day.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.